Welcome back to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan from Adobe, and today's episode is with Front's Head of Product Marketing, Christiana Ritazzi. After a career switching back and forth between marketing and product marketing, she has found the superpower that lets her do it all, knowing your buyer. In this episode, she elaborates on the utility of this superpower, including how it came in handy during her former company's acquisition by WeWork. It allowed her to grow alongside the company she was at along the way, during each phase. Women in Product Marketing is proudly supported by Clue. That's Clue with a K, the competitive enablement platform for all product marketers. This podcast is produced by Sharebird, the peer mentoring platform for product marketers. It is the place to discover on-demand resources to help you with product marketing. And if you have any feedback on our episodes, so things that you liked or things you want to hear more of, please send me a note on LinkedIn or feel free to email podcasts at sharebird.com. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm here today with Christiana Ritazzi, the head of product marketing at Front. Christiana has a really interesting background that we're going to get into today. She led enterprise PMM at the solar company SunPower and was actually most recently the head of technology marketing at WeWork. Really excited to hear more about her background and what makes her tick. Welcome, Christiana. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mary, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, one thing to kick us off is I was wondering what is something that you've done or maybe are in the process of doing that has scared you lately? On the personal side, I'm in the process of moving to Boulder, Colorado. And despite what my name might suggest, I am born and raised mostly in the Bay Area. I've lived here my entire life with the exception of college, but have never lived anywhere with any sort of significant winter patterns. So I'm moving there with my family and my partner. He's from there. And so we are excited about it, but I definitely am going to need a new winter wardrobe. I can help you out with that. (laughs) It's one of my favorite things to shop for. What scares you the most about this? Is it just the change, the new place, everything driving in the snow? What are you scared of? I think first is just missing my family. My parents are mostly here. My brothers are here. So there's a rebuilding of community that I think we're going to have to do. That certainly spooks me. And I know that the older we get, sometimes the harder it is to rebuild community because they feel pretty set. And so kind of starting over in some ways there, I think will be tough. And then the second part is what's my connection going to be to the, kind of the tech community. Certainly Denver is growing a lot in terms of its funding and startup scene. That said, I think I've really tried to associate the tech scene with San Francisco, but I'm glad that in some ways, I hate to say COVID has certainly helped in this regard because now the way that we view talent and the location of that talent has changed so much. But still, I think being connected to this world that I've built my career in, I want to make sure I maintain it. I think you're going to do great. And if there's anyone listening that's in the Boulder, Denver area or has friends, hook up Christiana and we'll make sure that there are those connections. Awesome. Well, great. Well, I'd love to hear more about your current role as the head of product marketing at Front. Can you talk a little bit about what Front does and what some of the characteristics of your role are? Yeah. So Front is a hub for customer communications that helps companies offer white glove service at scale. So we combine the simplicity of the email inbox that your team already knows with the automation and insights of a CRM. Someone in the company affectionately calls it kind of the front mullet. It's like email in the front looks and feels like what you're used to using every day, but has some of the power in the analytics on the back end that actually makes it adapt to today's work. In addition to a layer of collaboration that really helps, I think, teams 
teams, whether remote or not, work better with each other. And we have a full stack PMM team up front. We cover everything, obviously, from launches, releases, roadmap narrative to audience product marketing. And that's actually a big focus for us right now. I can talk more about that later to adoption and education. We grew up as a self-serve product, but are certainly migrating into more of a sales-led motion. And then what's unique, I think, also about our product marketing function up front is customer marketing reports into me. And that's kind of been my first foray into kind of having that joint function. But I have to say at a product like front that can really apply to so many different verticals and buyers, having that connection and being able to story tell really clearly what our product does through the narrative of our customers has been super powerful. I love that. And I really hope you use the mullet in the front example in an ad campaign. (laughs) I would absolutely click on that. That would be amazing. And can you talk a little bit about how, because of the way that you guys are organized and because of the uniqueness of the product, how that actually parlays into the organization of your product marketing team? I know it has a kind of a unique structure there. Yeah. So the two biggest pillars of the product marketing team are core PMM, which we align to product managers and is really the product facing role. And that pillar specifically is responsible for the launches, releasing releases, pricing and packaging roadmap. And then the other big part of our stack is audience product marketing. And we call it audience product marketing and not something else, because for us, our segments are defined kind of uniquely, especially compared to what to other products that I've marketed in the past at front we are super horizontal. So similar to, I think, Slack and even Asana in some ways, our segments can align to a buyer persona, a vertical, a combination of the two, and in some instances, even a sub-vertical. And so with such nuance around our audiences, we just needed a function that is really dedicated to the different segments. And more importantly, is dedicated to bringing the segments to market in the same way that we might want to validate a new capability. Up front, we actually have a go-to-market process tied to our audiences. And that's really rapid, that iterates quickly, and that proves something before kind of full-fledged launching it to the market. That's so awesome. And so with that structure that you have, what kind of product marketers do you look for when you're hiring? Is it some that are more jack of all trades? Are they focused on one particular area of product marketing or one particular specialization? What do you look for when you're building out your team with this type of structure? On the audience product marketing side, and we just made our first hire there, actually, we look for folks that have just deep empathy for our customers. First and foremost, I think anyone who has a little bit of experience with our key verticals is really helpful, but overwhelmingly so actually we look for someone who can understand pain and articulate pain in a really clear, concise way. I think the superpower of any great product marketer is empathy and being able to really understand that customer and to take that empathy and turn it into something that feels different, that resonates, and that doesn't have the rich language that I think sometimes as we spend so much time in marketing, we can get kind of wordy. And so I think somebody who can really value simplicity in addition to empathy is the type of candidate we might look for. That's really great. That's super helpful. And up until now, you've had a really interesting career. So you were pre-med in college. You went into product marketing for clean energy at SunPower. And then I believe most recently you were at WeWork as head of technology marketing as part of an acquisition. Can you talk about that wild ride through the acquisition, working at WeWork, how that went down and give us a little bit of insight into what that was like? 
Yeah. I mean, where to start and maybe how many beers do we have available? But I have to say one of the most unforgettable career moments of my life, I think being acquired. So the preamble here is that I joined a company called Euclid as a director of product marketing, because that had been my specialty and I built my career in product marketing specifically and spent some time there and eventually grew to lead the entire function. And it was time to kind of make a decision as to where we might land the business or what the next steps might be. And WeWork really came in at the last minute. I remember getting a call from our CEO on New Year's Eve that we were going to be acquired. And it's just such a wild experience that you are part of, even if you have access to that process, you get acquired and then there's a little bit of transition time. So you don't actually don't go anywhere for a little bit. And so you help migrate, they're doing diligence. And then ultimately, I remember our first day at WeWork because we were in this beautiful Salesforce tower offices that have a magnificent view of the bay. The space is just designed impeccably in much of the way that almost all WeWorks are. And we are there at 7.30 in the morning, basically pushing live the updates to the old Euclid website, making sure we're making the social announcements. We've got emails going to all of our customers. And then you close the laptop an hour and a half later, you're going into an onboarding session, just like you're a new employee because we are. And so you close that laptop, you turn it in and you're a WeWork employee. And while there was certainly a little bit of transition time between the two, we were really lucky to be joining a great team at the time that was focused on the technology products that we were both building internally and acquiring to really create the technology platform that they then touted, of course, as part of their big PR pushes, both in the S1 and beforehand. But there was a, a deep vision to really pair the spaces that they had globally with an intelligence platform that helped them to optimize both the experience in those spaces and the efficiency and use of those spaces. And actually there are some engineers that are still at WeWork today that are going to be using the Euclid technology for contact tracing, for example, and making sure that there's enough social distancing, et cetera. But joining WeWork at that time, so many different changes. And I remember being in New York the day that Adam Newman stepped down and typically the headquarters, the main floor of headquarters has a coffee bar and and it always plays this like super cool, loud music. They've got their own playlist on Spotify and I still listen to it. And you see Carly Kloss walking in and out. It's just a completely different vibe. And that day when he made his announcement and it was made digitally over Zoom, you could hear a pin drop. And it just was a lot of change during a very short period of time with a lot of media frenzy that made it certainly really tough to work. Although the people at WeWork did such a great job of just sticking together and just trying to keep their heads down. But boy, I've never been part of a company with so much frenzy around it from which you have to try to stay focused. It's so interesting. Thank you for sharing what it was like literally in the office, because I think you see these headlines, you hear these different news articles and all these PR spins, but you rarely think about what it's like for the people that are still working there and trying to do a good job and keeping their heads down and keeping the lights on. So that must've been such a wild experience and I can kind of feel the frenetic energy and then just it all coming to a halt at that moment. So thanks so much for sharing that. I'd love to talk a little bit about your career in that you have gone to the more full stack marketer role. You focused on demand gen at various points in your career. And then you also have gone back and forth to product marketing. Can you talk a little bit about what really helped to motivate some of those decisions and why you think product marketing might be really well-rounded enough to connect the dots with all those different parts of marketing? 
Yeah. I love product marketing, which is in part, I think why I'm on this podcast, but I think it's just so core to so many of the different functions of marketing and tying together also different parts of the business. And so, yes, I've started and built my career in product marketing, but I knew that I also had ambitions if possible to take on so much more and lead an entire function. And I found that the superpower that product marketers have in being able to do that is just this knowledge of our buyer. And I think pairing the knowledge of the buyer and the pain with positioning and a way to bring the buyer into the door actually makes you a really great demand marketer and a knowledge of the buyer and their tech stack and the evolution and trends either within that vertical or in that tech stack make you, I think, a great brand marketer because it allows you to paint a vision and figuring out the right waves you want to ride in order to move the business forward. But ultimately, I think that in order to be a great product marketer and in turn, a great, I think, marketing leader is not only, I think, a mastery of enough of those functions that you can kind of talk the talk, but ultimately you also need to kind of moonlight a little bit as a seller or a CSM. And I think that product marketing also has a relationship to those departments that allow you to really understand their pains too. And so at the core of all this, I would say it's just, it's really, it's empathy, quite frankly, both empathy for the buyer but it's also empathy for the sellers, whether, you know, on the pre-sales on the post-sales side. And so I think I tried to kind of take and wrap my arms around that as much as I could and use and harness that as my superpower and as the kind of the strategic lens with which I could then operate other sub-functions of marketing. That's so great. And we talk a lot on this podcast about building up your product marketing toolkit and how that's so important for building up your career, especially when you're in product marketing, there are many kind of facets of it, but there's almost this other layer of it thinking about it from a marketing perspective as a whole, PMM is one of those big tools in the toolkit as well as you're kind of thinking about your marketing career and marching on with that. So thanks for sharing that. I think you shared a Sheryl Sandberg quote earlier, if you want to share that again, about how you kind of envision your career and how you put that perspective into practice. Yeah, I think because ultimately the other layer here that I think about in terms of experiences and career growth is company stage. And not everyone I think wants the diversity of experience, but I know that I really love kind of being able to see companies at different stages and then lead companies through different stages. And so Sheryl Sandberg famously said that you know, your career is not a ladder, it's a jungle gym. And I really have taken that to heart to like not think so hierarchical, but actually to think about how does this experience serve where I'd like to go. And so an example of that is Euclid was a series B company when I joined. It was a series C company when we sold it, but was relatively small on the ARR side. And then we work, I led full stack marketing from a business that went from about 12 to 25 in ARR. And front on the other hand was my opportunity to see, hey, what does a business look like from the 30 million ARR onward and into a period of super or hyper growth? And I really wanted to see what that looked like, but knew that I hadn't seen it before and didn't have the skills to be able to lead a company through it. And so the decision to join Front after being at WeWork was really actually in service of that, of being able to really see a company through a specific phase of growth that would make me ultimately a better leader or a better CMO. So I chose to join Front when they had a CMO in place, when they were at a specific stage, but going back to my PMM roots and being able to lead a bigger PMM function than I previously had in the past and through a really special time for the company in order to learn as much as possible from that organization as it went through that period of hypergrowth. 
That's so interesting. I love how you're thinking about it from every stage company and bringing them through these different perspectives. That's really refreshing to hear and must be so fun and exciting when you're stepping into those new roles and putting that new hat on. So thank you for sharing that. I'd love to change gears slightly and talk a little bit about how your experiences as a female leader might have affected the decisions that you've made or some of the ways that you step into these new roles and new positions. Can you talk a little bit about some of your background and some of the ways that you approach leadership and new roles that might be different than some of our male colleagues? Sure. As my name might suggest, and I think I alluded to it earlier, I come from an Italian family. I have a pretty classic Italian mother. She is just a caretaker through and through, and is just extremely nurturing and is a wonderful mother. And I can't help but say that fortunately or unfortunately, I have some of those traits. So I think my leadership style tends to be of the nurturing kind. And I know that I interviewed for Front mostly remotely. I had joined remotely. I have not met in person a couple members of my team, which is so wild. And so how do you build relationships, build trust and oil a new machine behind a screen? And I find that that's the nurturing energy and spending time building relationships, which really does it. And so what I've done, I know up front that I think has really helped my team and I really form this cohesive team and like borderline family is just taking the time to invest. And so in a world where I know we can't use another Zoom meeting every day, we've added a few here to make sure that we are accounting for the water cooler talks, that we are accounting for what did you do over the weekend? And so for example, on Mondays, we have a 30 minute standup where quite frankly, 15 minutes of those 30 minutes are talking about the weekend. And so I know what my team members ate for their fancy brunch, if they made one. And then on Wednesdays, we have our full team meeting 60 minutes, and we always do an icebreaker. So whether it's my sorority roots, but we always include a question that people can choose each week. So I think today was who inspires you. And last week it was, what's a loyalty? I mean, what's a luxury that you afford yourself? And so just to learn, I think a little something extra, and I think just understanding who people are and their motivations and their career aspirations, I think ultimately makes you a better leader. And I think as a woman, and maybe even as an Italian woman, I know that I really value getting to know people for who they are, not just what they do. And I think that this has helped me, I think, build a certain culture or subculture within our product marketing team that I really cherish it. And it helps in the harder moments too. So I would say that's kind of something that is unique to me. I love that. And I am so happy that you've instituted those kinds of water cooler moments because we've been at this for over a year now. I mean, I think when we all went into this, we thought it would be a few weeks here and there, but I think the strongest leaders that I've talked to have really made the time for that, whether it's five minutes at the beginning of every meeting, office hours, icebreaker questions, which you just shared. I love all of that. And I think that's so important right now. And you know, we're working, but we're spending our time on these virtual environments away from our family, away from other things we could be doing. I think it needs to have that connection point or otherwise you will just get burnt out. So that's really great to hear that you've spent a lot of time really thinking about that and taking that nurturing side and really made it into a strength. So thank you for sharing that. 
And if I might, just one thing I would love to add to Front's credit, they really prioritize professional growth and a different connection between managers and employees. So actually it's part of our cultural fabric to hold monthly one hour one-on-ones, which are meant to be a deeper touch point. And we send a document out in advance where we ask, Hey, over the past month, what has gone well? What have you been happy about over the past month? What have you been less happy about? How can I support you as a manager? So imagine some of the meat that might go in a yearly or every six months review, but doing it monthly for 60 minutes, I think also really enhances the connection you have with employees and make sure that no blossoming issue goes undetected for too long. And I think that because I'm not seeing my team at their desk and their body language or the passing conversations are having, there's a lot that I don't see. And so I think having these monthly connection points, which is an important part of Front's operating cadence, I think has also made a really big difference. That's so wonderful to hear that it's organizationally implemented too. So everyone is doing it. Everyone gets these little therapy sessions and personal development sessions, I'm sure, where they can kind of talk things out. And yeah, I think if the replacement for body language is an emoji on Slack, I don't think we're doing ourselves a good service if that's the only way you're really checking in. So I really love that. Something else I've done is implemented just red light, yellow light, green light on what's working and what's not, because I sometimes find that that's an easier way to share how progress is happening compared to not wanting to say you're not doing a good job or something's really hard. It just kind of gives a way for people to communicate that if they're not as comfortable sharing all the details. So that helps you kind of dive into that as well. And if you want to look at a list of things that they're working on too, something I've found successful as well, but I love the monthly check-in. That's great. What would you say overall makes an amazing product marketer? You've hired a lot of product marketers. You've been a product marketer in many ways, shapes, and forms. What do you think is something that makes the most amazing product marketers tick? Yeah, I think it's being able to boil down the essence of what you're trying to communicate at the right altitude. I think that product marketers tend to operate at different points of the customer journey and at different precision points of audiences, like at the brand awareness level, but also at the admin level. And so I think being able to really distill down what you're trying to say for whom and in what moment is probably, I think, one of the most important superpowers for a product marketer to harness. And so what that means is like, I think being able to tie together, you know, as I mentioned earlier, pain to messaging, a release to something bigger than that, to a mission, to a vision you might have, to a market trend if necessary. And so I think understanding what bullet in the chamber to use at what moment. And then the second I would say is really being able to feel comfortable swapping hats with someone in the field. And I think being deeply empathetic and understanding of what it means to progress a sales opportunity, to give an in-depth or custom demo, to have that difficult or easy conversation for a renewal or an upsell, I think being able to really understand those moments and know what is needed to make them simpler, faster, more profitable is I think really the qualities of an excellent product marketer. 
Those are both really great, especially the boiling it down. I don't hear that said as often. And I think there is such an art to that. Anyone can come up with the list of 25 bullet points and you can always tell the website that doesn't have a product marketer on it that's been written by the engineers or they haven't thought about it yet. It's just a laundry list of everything. So I really resonate with that. I was actually talking to my team recently about the art of the blurb. condensing everything that you have done, even if it's an internal highlight or something, you know, product marketers need to excel at that blurb, that little statement that encapsulates it all and really boils down the essence. So thank you for calling that one out in particular. And don't you feel like internal product marketing is almost equally important sometimes as the external product marketing? I think you you asked about (laughs) traits of women leaders. And I think that this promoting your work is something that may not come as naturally to some women. I don't want to be kind of universal in my comment, but certainly I know it's a muscle for myself I've had to develop is how do I take what I know to be true as a product marketer and the way that I would publish or promote our capabilities externally and actually use that to publish or promote our capabilities internally, whether it's the accomplishment of our team or a new release. And so especially when things have gone well, it doesn't always come as easily, but I do think and know for myself that having a team makes it a little bit easier because then it's just not in service of your own work, but it's in service of other people's work and the careers that they've entrusted you with. And so kind of making that push, I know in development area for myself in mastering the art of that internal launch email, I think that was taught to me really early in my career that like, how do you do the launch, you know, the internal, you know, bow around the project email that resonates, that highlights the work that was done and the time or effort invested, I think is a really important skill that sounds trite and maybe too formal, but boy, I think it goes a long way, especially if we're remote. There's nothing I love more than a good launch email. I totally can relate to that. Yeah, I think on this topic too, we've implemented a couple of things that have given us a channel really to share those kinds of internal announcements. So we actually have a monthly content release call, we call it. You know, we're interfacing with our sales and go-to-market colleagues. So it gives us an opportunity to share all the wonderful work we've done over the course of the last month and really is helpful because it's an enablement session that we've had. But I've also found that it's just a great way for us to get acknowledgement for the work and everything that we've done in one place. You can always show up to this monthly meeting and know what has the PMM team done for you lately. So if anyone wants to steal that, that's been really fun. We call it our QVC show. We get really hyped up for it. (laughs) Lots of ring lights. That's the day of the month I do my hair. (laughs) It's really great. Well, let's talk a little bit about, so we've had a lot of conversations about the successes and, you know, jumping to new parts of new businesses and the career journey, but I'd love to hear actually about a time that you might've missed the mark and failed as a PMM. Do you have any bombed launches or anything you'd like to share about something you wish you could have done a little bit better, but learned something from, I hope. A hundred percent. I mean, who doesn't? I'm like, which (laughs) month do we want to talk about? But no, I think one of the ones that comes to mind more recently was actually Upfront. And last year we redid the visual identity upfront and relaunched a website 
kind of published new positioning. And it was like the first thing I tackled. And while there had been a bunch of research and internal kind of cross team alignment that had been done as part of the visual identity and some of like the merits and the new tagline on the positioning side, we really, I think, shortchanged, quite frankly, the like bring everybody along part of that. And in terms of, I think, ensuring that our sales organization was aligned to where we were going, I think we were introducing a new category for ourselves as well. And the language mapped well enough to both the identity and our capability set. And so while we had done some internal reviews, I think that we really, I think, shortchanged it in a way that like the size of the change internally for our teams didn't match the size of the cross-functional alignment, for lack of a better word, you know? like the bigger the change, the more I think education and alignment and kind of time spent with associated teams. And so those things have to kind of be the same size in order to be successful. And I think we were doing a big change with like a little bit of change management and those things won't work. And so what ended up happening was while the visual identity turned out beautifully, I think we're all aligned around the category, a bunch of the positioning fell kind of flat and we struggled to get the full scope of our of our sales organization really marching to the same drumbeat. And when you layer on the complexity of a horizontal product, which is what we have, you kind of have, imagine you're on a rowboat and everyone's catching crabs, which is like, basically you're out of alignment. And so we're basically almost solved for that now, but in your first few months as PMM remotely new identity certainly isn't the way you want to kind of kick off. But I think the big learning for me, which should come as no surprise is not only obvious, the obvious part here, which is bring along the people who are like, you know, whose livelihoods I think depend on that positioning and, you know, who are actually championing it to the market. But more importantly, that I think the efforts placed on on bringing others along needs to align to like the size and scope of the change. So like, you don't need to boil the ocean around approvals and getting feedback for something small, because I think that's inefficient too, especially at an early stage company, you have to move fast because every day is a day that goes on the balance sheet. Right. But I do think that making sure that we're being really honest about, Hey, this is a big change and requires a big movement to bring folks on board. And I think really understanding what that means for the organization ensures the success of your work, because ultimately we did pull together messaging and because it's not adopted, we have to redo it and then bring folks along. And I think the product here is a lot better than anything we turned out last year. And so I feel really proud of the work that we've done, but it's certainly taken a little bit longer. And I think for me has really helped me to understand kind of the cataclysmic change in something like that and what it requires to get it fully adopted. Thanks so much for sharing that because I do think there's all this talk externally about category creation and, you know, being the first to market and repositioning and splashy campaigns. And, but you totally hit it on the mark that if your internal team, especially if you're really relying on a sales team, they don't get it or don't believe in it or not along on that journey, it's going to fall flat. So thank you for sharing that experience. Was there one thing you wish you would have done differently? Do you wish you would have had an enablement session or a series of trainings or talk to one group that you maybe didn't get to in time? Is there anything that stands out as part of that, that, oh, if I just would have done that one or two things, I might've been better off. Yeah. I'll tell you what it was. And then we ended up doing it. So what I wish we had done was actually included a broader cross-functional group in the actual 
formulation of the positioning. And so what we ended up doing now is we formed essentially a tiger team of, I think it was 15 folks across the entire organization, pre-sales, post-sales, engineering, product, even our CFO joined. And we pulled together a few different hours and then we went into breakout groups and everyone needed to come back with their best shot at a positioning statement for front generally. And then we also did it for kind of our top use cases. And so we actually you know, I feel like I kind of cheated because I crowdsourced my positioning, but I crowdsourced it from the people who either experience the pain themselves or are really close to those who do. And so we did also do a bunch of external validation, but we started there and allowed our teams, the ones that interface with our existing customers or our prospects to tell us what they thought would resonate. And the takeaway, especially as I had a really small and still do kind of growing team was I had all this great material to then start to pull from as we went into the creation phase. So imagine, you know, I kind of basically harnessed the best of the best in terms of brain power and material while including them, which ultimately yielded, I think, a really strong end product. So that's what I wish we had done, but I'm really thankful that we did it this time around. And, you know, so stay tuned, but so far, so good. What a great experience. That sounds really fun too. <laughs> and probably as a side, it helps people realize how hard totally. the job is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe I feel like I cheated there too. Cause I, yeah, crowdsourced my positioning and, you know, created a little bit of empathy for the difficulty of the job. And so, yes, for sure. And it's cool to like, you know, they're walking a mile in my shoes too, which I think is really special. That sounds great. Well, I'm sure you'll knock it out of the park on round two. Can't wait to see how it turns out. Please keep us posted. Sure. <laughs> and just a couple more questions for you. This is kind of a big one and really interested in your take on it outside of product marketing. <laughs> but when are you at your happiest, either professionally or personally or together? When do you just say, oh, I have this amazing energy. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I think loaded question for sure. But I know that at home, we kind of think about the different concentric circles and like, you know, what's the hierarchy, you know, if there are most, a lot of people know that once you have kids, I think priorities shift, but how do you make sure that you focus? It sounds selfish, but on yourself first, you know, it's, it's like the classic, put the mask on you before you assist anybody else. And so I know that I think when I'm the happiest is that the moments where I don't sacrifice the things that I know I truly need. And whether that means having a little bit of alone time in the mornings. I am an early morning person and especially in COVID, I love being outdoors. So I love kind of having like the, I've never been a runner, but unfortunately COVID has made me one, but a little bit of time outdoors and some time on my own. And so kind of filling that cup first and then filling the partnership cup and the family cup. And then I feel like, you know, and then the broader family, but the work cup is part of the self cup. I know that the days that I feel best about my days are the ones where I feel like I've moved something forward in a meaningful way. And that I've hopefully, I think, changed somebody's career or learning curve that day. I think that's that for me, I know is a huge motivator is like, I really ultimately would love to like retire one day and know that I have meaningfully changed not only companies, but people's trajectories and their career trajectories much in the same way that I have people who have changed mine for the better. And so I think when I'm at my happiest, it's when my personal cup is filled because I'm both like physically 
emotionally, professionally, and even spiritually kind of the cup is full. And then the other priorities also kind of fall in place as well. And they're kind of in this like alignment. It's a little woo, but for me, I've like realized, especially I think as we've taken away a bunch of the distractions in COVID, that kind of alignment, starting with myself first, and then kind of building out towards my family is kind of the times that I know I feel kind of the most at peace. And I think when you're the most at peace, you're the most productive and you come up with your best ideas. That is so amazing. We like woo on this podcast, (laughs) sharing a little woo. And I want you to brand this idea of the concentric circles and how it's filling your cup and starting with you. I think that is really a great visualization and something I want to think about every day too. So that is really inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing that. Last question for you. What's next? Well, I feel so excited that Front, quite frankly, is in a really fun time. We've brought on great folks to the team, both in product marketing, but on the executive side as well. So supporting Front as it continues to, I think, grow and find itself in these new phases and move up market. And so professionally, I think continuing to live out the dream and to learn, I think, you know, within the this like hyper growth stage of a really fun company that I think has a really balanced view also to how to operate. And then, you know, personally, we've, we've talked about, you know, bracing myself for a Colorado winter is definitely going to be one of them and making sure that, you know, that we make the move in one kind of whole piece. But I think longer term, everyone's on kind of a, a learning quest. And I know for myself that that continues to be true. So both, I think professionally making sure that I'm soaking in what it means to manage an important subfunction of marketing through a period of growth. And then I think as a person understanding kind of how to we take the destabilization that comes from a big move and trying to find a sense of center. And then hobby-wise, just I think I'm a big cooker. And so I am always looking for new recipes and ways to kind of expand beyond, especially the Italian genre. So what's next for me is also, I think, branching into more ethnic kind of food categories and, and bringing that into our kitchen. That's so wonderful. Well, best of luck to you in Boulder. I'm sure you're going to love it. You're going to get a Colorado summer before you get the winter. So you're going to love it. I think, (laughs) I mean, you know, this maybe because you're in the North Bay, but warm nights in San Francisco are not a thing. And that is something that I am so excited for. I think it's going to be so wonderful and please keep me posted on how it turns out and really looking forward to seeing all the wonderful things you're doing up front. Thanks so much for joining us today, Christiana. Thank you so much for being a wonderful host. It was so fun to meet you. So fun to have you on. Thanks again. Women in Product Marketing is proudly supported by Clue. That's Clue with a K, the competitive enablement platform for all product marketers. This podcast is produced by ShareBird, the peer mentoring platform for product marketers. It is the place to discover on-demand resources to help you with product marketing. And if you have any feedback on our episodes, so things that you liked or things you want to hear more of, please send me a note on LinkedIn or feel free to email podcasts at sharebird.com. That wraps another episode of Women in Product Marketing. Be sure to subscribe and share Women in Product Marketing with someone you think will love it. Next week, I interview Liza Sperling, the head of product marketing at Upwork. Thank you so much for all of your support and catch you next week.